Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Well, hello there. I'm Marcus. This guy here is Nick. Hello. And we welcome you to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Now, if you aren't familiar with respected film sensei, Nick Chaffee, well, he's the man that's currently writing a film about a psychopathic dog that takes a job as a nanny to exact revenge on a naive woman and steal her family. Wow. It's something he's calling the hound that rocks the cradle. Okay. How's it coming along, Nick? Good. Good, yeah. Yeah. Did he cast the dog yet? Not, not yet. I think we're going to look for an unknown okay. in this one. Yeah. Sounds good. Coming up in the next hour, uh, The King Has Returned. Uh, we'll review the photorealistic remake of Disney's 1994 animated classic, The Lion King. If you enjoy a quiz, well, I've got five mystery films for you to try and identify in the Take 5 movie quiz. And if you're looking for films for rent, then we share our thoughts on a movie which comes from the visionary filmmakers James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez about a cyborg that searched for her past and found her destiny. We review Alita Battle Angel. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can do so on Twitter. We are at Sunshine Cinemax. But before we get into everything, here's Nick with the latest movie news. Thanks, Marcus. So, something of a Marvel news special this week. Uh, First story, details are announced for 4-4. Try and say that three times quickly. And uh, they're also resurrecting an old series with an Oscar winner. It was announced by The Hollywood Reporter last week that Taika Waititi will be returning to direct the then-untitled fourth movie in Marvel's Thor franchise. Waititi's previous film, Thor Ragnarok, was praised for injecting a newfound sense of humour and style into the ailing franchise, so his return was something of a no-brainer for the comic book movie giant. Fast forward to four days later at Comic-Con, and during Marvel's big presentation unveiling its planned cinematic and Disney Plus releases for the next two years, and we got a pretty epic title, Thor Love and Thunder. Director Taika Waititi, Crims Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson were on hand to break the news, and while neither Hemsworth nor Thompson have read the script, they did note that the film will feature Valkyrie's first moments as Queen of Asgard. And while none of that was particularly shocking, the big surprise came with the arrival of Natalie Portman, who was handed Thor's Mjolnir with much reverence. Not only will she be reviving her role as Jane Foster, but will also serve as the next Thor in the Thor film, just as Foster did in the comics. Portman posted on Instagram that she was thrilled to return to the series and to work with Hemsworth and Thompson. Remember this as the before picture for when I get jacked, she joked. Thor Love and Thunder is slated for a fall 2021 release. Well, you've got to be excited about this, surely. I am, but yeah, I'm you know, pleased to see that everyone's coming back. Really enjoyed Thor Ragnarok. So, good to see Taika Waititi return. And I, you know, I, I did enjoy Natalie Portman's presence in the, the first two Thor movies as well, although she didn't have a great deal to do. You know, she was a very... Uh, good presence, and yeah, I'm glad that they found a way to let her return. I've I've heard really good things about the uh, specific run of comics that they'll be adapting for this forthcoming instalment. So, again, yeah, thumbs up all round. Excellent. Yeah, love to see it. 
Have you um? Did you, did you see Ragnarok at all? I did not. Okay. No. That one. I think that one will be up your streets. Really? In, just in terms of of humor. Have you seen Hunt for the Wilder People? Uh, which is that was Taika Waititi's um, previous film, which he he wrote and directed. No, I haven't. Okay, that's that's really good. Okay, got Sam Neill in it, and oh, um, okay. and the kid who was later in uh, Deadpool two. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, fun little adventure film. So, then it, should I see that before Ragnarok? Uh I think they certainly make for an interesting comparison. They've got similar um, types of humour, I think. Okay. Although Thor Ragnarok has uh, Jeff Goldblum in it, so you might want to see that one first. <laughs> oh, I do like him. Yeah, he's, he's very good in, in his role. Oh, the only thing I can tell you about Love and Thunder is uh, there was an album called Love and Thunder by uh, a Christian rock singer. Uh, I think his name was Andrew Peterson. Right. Ah, okay. I don't... Um, the Do I have the logo up here? I don't have the logo for the film with me, but it's it's much like for Ragnarok before. It looks very much like a, an album title sort of style. Yeah. Um, I'll see if maybe I can get it up in the... Well, I'll show you when we're, when we're playing the song, when we're on off air or something. And we'll put it on Twitter for you to have a look at as well. Oh, yes. Yes, I'll do that too. At Sunshine Cinemax. Mm-hmm. So, Marvel's big comic op panel didn't have too many surprises stored up, at least until the end, because while most of the projects announced by Kevin Feige and company were things that we've at least heard about before, Thor, Thor uh, Shang-Chi, Black Widow, Doctor Strange 2, etc., the panel ended with one massive shocker, the reveal of a new Blade movie, with Mahershala Ali in a titular day-walking role. As superhero history nerds, including myself, are always happy to remind you the original Blade was the first Marvel movie success story, arriving as it did all the way back in 1998 and making a major blood-rave splash at the box office. As Blade, Wesley Snipes projected teeth-gritting cool, while also setting the stage for all the comic book mayhem to come, including teaming up with Ryan Reynolds as a motor-mouthed butt-kicker in Blade Trinity. Fargin Company gave literally no details about the project beyond the title and a poster. In fact, we're only mostly sure this is a movie and not a, another Disney Plus TV show. But the combination of Oscar Win Ali's ever-increasing star power and the long-held fan love for Blade's bloody sense of fun suggests that resisting this particular idea might be as futile as trying to ice skate uphill. <laughs> ah, now, Blade, yes. Yes, I, I, I kept this under wraps as we were preparing for the show because I wanted to see what Marcus's reaction <laughs> to this news would be. Yeah, yeah. Now, as regular listeners will will be aware, uh, Marvel isn't high on my list of film priorities to watch. Um, however, going back old school style, uh, what did you say it was? 1998? 1998, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing Blade. Thoroughly enjoying it at the time. Yeah. So, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. You've, you've piqued my interest there. And I'm interested to see how Mahershala Ali Yes, I mean, we'll, we'll be discussing him uh, a bit later on, as he happens to be in uh, Lisa Battle Angel, which is our to rent review this time on the show. And um, I think I might mention this later on, actually. Uh, I think that's a very good indication of what he's going to bring to that particular role. Um, you know, and as, as, as we've seen in Green Book and Moonlight before, he's you know a fantastic actor in his own right. Apparently, he was the one that initiated this idea in the first place. Like, he phoned up Kevin Feige and said, I want to play Blade. And Kevin Feige said, oh, Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, good luck to him. In a world fraught with corruption, two men united by fate, torn apart by destiny, somewhere between courage and not courage, between the pharmacy and the podiatry clinic, you'll find Nick and Marcus in the Sunshine Hospital Radio Studio. Only they can bring you the Sunshine Cinema Show. 
Well, let's give you a rundown of the top fives at the UK box office and in the film rentals chart. Starting at the box office, at number five, we have Annabelle Comes Home. Have you seen the trailer, Nick? Uh, I believe I have, at the cinema, yes. And what did you think? Well, that was creepy. Most <laughs> <I suppose>. <laughs> <laughs> don't know, Annabelle's a creepy little doll. Yes, this is another entry in the um, the Conjuring universe, um, a sort of cinematic universe of which I've somehow completely managed to miss, not <laughs> seen a single one of them. All the way here, they're okay. Yeah, they're good. It's got dark, scary bits and creepers, creepers and things jumping out of dark, scary areas. Sure. That's your thing? Give it a go. Mm-hmm. Um, number four, if the Beatles are your thing, well, maybe you want to give it yesterday a go. Yes, um, although I think worth noting that I think you could, having seen the film myself, I think you could re- replace the Beatles in this with any other band and the, the story would pretty much still be the same. Would it work if they'd used the Wurzels instead of the Beatles? Um, well, I don't know, if, I don't know how I really want to be about the Wurzels, but let's not forget they were mostly a covers band. Yeah, well, I don't think we'll go into this That's why, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I understand the appeal. <laughs> but they, yeah, they mostly did not write their own songs after, after, after a certain point. Anyway, Yesterday is perfectly fine, I think, as, uh, as a rom-com. I said this on the programme last time. The, the comedy side of it is um, pretty good. It's scripted by Richard Curtis. So I think most people know what they're, they're getting when it comes to that. The comedy is good. The romance side of things, I think a, a little bit less convincing. There is also one particular scene, which I can't go into for sport of versions towards the end, which uh, throws up a very interesting moral conundrum, I think, with regards to the the content. I think anyone who's seen, seen the film will know um, what I'm referring to. But, yeah, perfectly fine film. And number three, we have Spider-Man Far From Home. Yes, uh, which I've also seen. Uh, I think very similar to other Marvel movies of its of its type. It's fun. I mean, this film in particular is, I think, very funny uh, in comparison to the other ones. It's sort of it's going for a very John Hughes teen comedy vibe. It certainly hits that. I think cast are very good. Jake Gyllenhaal is is excellent as as Mysterio. I really do enjoy that he managed to completely, almost perfectly adapt the costume that he had in the comics, which is not. Uh, subtle <laughs> at all but he managed to make it work in this and number two in the UK box office charts we have Toy Story 4 yes which I've still not managed to see for a, a second time just to get a concrete opinion on it but the first time I saw it I did really enjoy it I think it's, it's as good as we hoped it would be and at number one we have The Lion King which we will be reviewing very shortly so the two the top five UK film rentals at number five it's Us Yes, which um, I think, yeah, we reviewed on the programme last time. I, th- I believe we gave it an eight. Um, although we did say at the time it wasn't quite as uh, airtight, I think is a phrase that I use, as, um, mm. as Get Out, which I, I do think is a, a masterpiece of um, horror. And there's um, so much that I liked about us, but there was one thing that I, I, I and I won't say what it is for spoilers, but it. I couldn't get over it, and it took me out of the film. It's, it, it walks a tightrope, I think, when it comes to um, uh, what little plots it has. And sometimes you could say that maybe it doesn't quite make it all the way to the end. But I, I felt that the, the visual aspects, the, um, the, un- the unsettling aspect of it, was, sort of was enough to carry it through. Hmm. Um, Lupita Nyong is fantastic in, the, in, in two different roles. As is the rest of the cast. They all have a... Yeah. They're so good that you, you sometimes forget that they're the same 
actor. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, number four, we have Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. I think I said last time that this is the best Spider-Man film available right now. I'm going to correct that. I think it's the best Spider-Man film. As, as much love as I have for the uh, original Sam Raimi ones, especially number two, uh, I, I do think this is the best one. Bold statement. Mm. Let us know your bold, thoughts. Bold film. <laughs> very, very good. Um, and number three, we have a film about throat lozenges, uh, Fisherman's Friend. Yeah. Are they lozenges or are they mints? I would say lozenges. They're sort of, I think they're somewhere in, in the middle, aren't they? Well, I would have to uh, contact their marketing department mm. and see what they go with. But I would be confident on lozenges. Okay. <laughs> kind of irrelevant when the film really isn't about throat lozenges. It's, it's not, no, no. It's um, about the, I think the, the, the band of the same name who were literally fishermen who uh, sing... Shanties. Yeah, and like, like old folk songs from Cornwall, I think. I'm not familiar with the band. All of, I haven't seen the film either. My family went to see it. They, I, Yeah, the, the words my dad used were instant classic, so... Oh, wow. He really enjoyed it. Uh, you need worry no more. Instant classic. Says, Mr. Says my dad, yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, we have Elita Battle Angel, which we are reviewing later in the show. And still at number one, we have Captain Marvel. I think my opinion on this one has diminished a little bit, just um, in in hindsight. Um, it is pretty good. I think Brie Larson's very good in the um, the lead role. There are some surprises to be had with the way that the, the plot unfolds. Maybe not enough, I think. When it gets to the end, it sort of t- tries to tie together a lot of threads that uh, I think in some cases weren't entirely all there, if that makes sense. Um, and the I think the fight scenes leave either a little bit to be desired as well but it's it's fun enough um i can see why a lot of people really sort of why it resonated with a lot of people you know especially you know the uh, the female uh, portion of the audience as well yeah still good okay well up next after the murder of his father a young lion prince flees his kingdom only to learn the true meaning of responsibility and bravery we review the lion king well, now it's time for the first review on the show this afternoon, which is The Lion King, rated PG. Simba idolises his father, King Mufasa, and takes to heart his own royal destiny on the plains of Africa. But not everyone in the kingdom celebrates the new cub's arrival. Scar, Mufasa's brother and former heir to the throne, has plans of his own. The battle for Pride Rock is soon ravaged with betrayal, tragedy and drama, ultimately resulting in Simba's exile. Now, with help from a curious pair of newfound friends, Simba must figure out how to grow up and take back what is rightfully his. This gorge is where all lions come to find their roar. All lions? Even my dad? Even Mufasa came here when he was your age refused to leave until his roar could be heard above the rim. All the way up there? That's when you know you found it. With a little practice, you'll never be called a cub again. Watch this. You'll get it, Simba. Just takes time. I'll check on you later. Dad will be so proud, won't he? It's a gift he'll never forget. Well, The Lion King was directed and produced by John Favreau. You may know him from directing Iron Man films and the Christmas classic Elf, 
Uh, he's also the producer on the Avengers movies. But to me, well, he'll always be Monica's boyfriend in Friends. Wrestling expert Pete Decker. Mm-hmm. Now, the voice cast on this film was huge. I'm just going to mention a few of the names. James Earl Jones, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Beyonce, Donald Glover, John Oliver, and Seth Rogen. Now, if you've seen the trailer for this film, you'll be aware that this is a photorealistic film, and it's very different in its style to the original. Nick, let me ask you, do you think there's anything to be gained from the photorealistic remake of a classic cartoon? On the basis of this, no. And I, I want to be clear here, I, I recognise that this is a, a massive achievement in, in terms of realistic animation. Everything looks real. And I, I, I applaud everyone that clearly put a lot of work and, and, and thought into designing and animating everything. It's impressive, but that's it to me. And it, it's impressive in a way that is not in service to the story all the performances. The, the story is pretty much the same as the original, so you know, that's that's fine. The performances, as far as the voices are concerned, are okay. In some cases, good, but just not as good as the original, which isn't helped by them using essentially the exact same script. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor, as we as we heard in the clip, is a great great actor, great actor, but he's a very different performer to Jeremy Irons. And when you've heard Jeremy Irons' iconic performance countless times, as I have, the the difference in terms of quality and suitability is huge, especially when it comes to um, Scar's big villain song "Be Prepared," which in the original is a you know it's a big musical number. Here is sort of more reminiscent of slam poetry, and is greatly shortened as well. What what sinks the film entirely though is that the cast performances as good as they might be, are tied to realistic animals that can't smile, can't frown, or look sad when sad things happen. They're basically emotionless the whole way through. So this is a musical adventure film for families in which none of the characters smile or dance. You can see this for yourself in clips online. Um, the clip we played earlier is available. I, I invite people to do so, just so they see what the film is going to be like when you know with these animals conversing and and singing with each other. There's another clip available with um, Timon and Pumbaa, played in this version by uh, Billy Eichner and, and Seth Rogen, which is is doubly awkward. Billy Eichner has, um, if if you if you know his work at all, has a very expressive voice, and it does not sound right coming out of this Timon's constantly deadpan face. The, the meerkats in the Compare the Market adverts have more life in them than this one does. Um, I might have to slightly dip into spoiler territory for this next bit, but I'll, I'll try not to be too specific. So if, if you want to sort of completely preserve yourself, then uh, maybe tune out for a minute or so. <clears throat> the the major death in the original, which was a, a humor, huge moment in millions of lives, um, both young and old, when the original came out, it, it might not have been real, but it was human because of the vocal performances and the expression and, and the movements of the characters in the drawn animation. By comparison, if we see something similar happen in a documentary, it's it's not human, but it still reson- resonates with us because we know it's real. The major death in this version is not real, 
because we know it's animated, but it doesn't feel human either because there's no sense of grief or, or remorse on the character's face. There's grief in the performance, but it's not matched up by any visual aspect. So essentially we are being told that it's sad, but we're not seeing anything to back it up. That's the big problem that this version has. And this, despite the massive technical achievement, the the use of realistic animals to tell a human story, I, I felt totally nullifies any emotional power that the original had. There are several specific shots that have been completely replicated here that really hammer that point home. During the climax, I lost track of which line was which, because in real life, most lines look the same. There was one moment where the, the realistic style felt like an, an advantage, where the, the, the lion cubs are being chased through a, a small tunnel by hyenas that you know, genuinely felt claustrophobic, um, because it's placing us within the same space. But that was it. Um, and because everything else in this version is the same as the original, it, it undoes the film completely. Even, even the score, which should have been a slam dunk with me, because it's just an extended version of the existing Hans Zimmer score from the original, failed to impress. Um, and I, I love that original score, um, because there was, there was a small selection on, on it, including on the, the soundtrack cassette that my family had playing on, on repeat in a car for about a year, or <laughs> possibly longer. Um, you know, and, and that included all of, all of the big major cues and motifs. And there was initially a thrill to be had hearing those motifs being used again, but then they kept on being repeated and overused, and any effect to be gained from them felt watered down over the course of the running time. The songs are shorter, the plot is the same, but the, the film is 30 minutes longer, somehow, uh, apparently making room for improv from Eichner and Brogan and uh, extraneous stuff. I definitely did not need to see Rafiki dramatically putting his staff out of his tree in slow motion like it's Excalibur or something, for instance. Uh, that is about the long and short of it. Okay, I don't know if I dare ask you this. Can you give it a Sunshine Cinema rating out of ten? Mm, we have to, don't we? We do. It's, it's a complicated issue. The, qu the question you and I always ask ourselves when it comes to rating films on this programme is uh, w would you recommend this to people? And in the case of The Lion King, I can't really think of any reason why I would. There's, there's nothing in this that doesn't, isn't done better in the, in the original version. I could highlight the visual aspects of it, the, the visual spectacle aspects of it, and I understand that it might be a, a draw for, for some people, but I, I didn't get the same, same sense of wonder from this that I do from a, a BBC Nature series. For instance, um, if you're desperate to see photorealistic animals talking to each other, I would say just watch Babe. Which, incidentally, nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's good. We fr frequently said about films that we didn't like, if you're a big fan of, of this actor, maybe check it out. But I, I don't think I can even recommend it on that level, because no one in the cast really, really shines. It feels like they're just going through the, the motions of the story. It sounds like they recorded all of the lines in, in one go, in one take, and the, the editor just dropped them into the timeline. If you've not seen the original, maybe this would this would work for you. But I, I can't approach it from that um, from that viewpoint because I've seen the original too many times to count. Unfortunately, do you want to? I, don't know, I, I can't really add much more to that. It, the original has magic and charm. This has and color and color oh, and color. It, this has magic in terms of a visual spectacle of wow. And when that runs out, you don't have the charm that the original had. No. And that's that's the trouble. And 
going back to almost the opening question where I asked you about whether there was anything to be gained from making a photo realistic remake <laughs> I think I said to you earlier on before the show there was a, a Jeff Goldblum quote from Jurassic Park where where he says um, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should mm. so yes you can do it will this lead on to lots more similar ones I'm not sure well it's a central topic but the live action remakes that they've been doing have been they've varied in quality I think I haven't seen many of them Favreau yeah. did he did a Jungle, jungle Book I saw the Jungle Book Jungle Book was okay um, it, it, it changed the story quite a, a little bit I think to accommodate the uh, the different style of the animation okay here's what I'm going to do I'm going to I'm going to watch all of them in between shows and maybe if if time allows next time I'll you know I'll, I'll, I'll see what I think about all of them Okay. Okay. Um, so, just to, to wrap it up, I I try to go into these films with an open mind and and not hold on to any preconceived notions I might have gotten from the trailers and such. But I, I do acknowledge whatever those um, initial notions might be. My expectation for this, based on the trailers and early footage, was it's the original film, but not as interesting visually. That still stands. In in some places, it didn't, it didn't even live up to that. But that is. That's that. That's it. So I'm going to say four out of ten. If you've seen the film, please tell us what you think. We'd love to uh, include your views. Contact us on Twitter at Sunshine Cinemax. Still to come, we'll be reviewing Alita: Battle Angel. A deactivated cyborg is revived that can't remember anything of her past life and goes on a quest to find out who she is. Before that, though, it's the Take Five Film Quiz. You're listening to the Sunshine Cinema Show with Nick and Marcus, and now it's time for the Take 5 Film Quiz. Okay, so uh, if you're joining us for the first time, the Take 5 Film Quiz is very simple. I'm going to give you the taglines from five well-known movies, and all you need to do is name the films that they come from. As always, your challenger is Nick, but he only scores a point if he names the film and the year that it was released in the UK. Mm. Now, do you want to name the year it was released as well? You get a double bonus point. Well done. If you get it correct, of course. So, here we go. Five taglines, five films. Let's start with number one. One Dream, Four Jamaicans, 20 Below Zero. One Dream, Four Jamaicans, 20 Below Zero. Can you, can you remember where the bulk of that movie is actually set? Like, which country it's in? Because it just occurred to me that I don't actually know. Somewhere cold, hmm. clearly. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Number two. Not that interesting. <laughs> if he were any cooler, he'd still be frozen, baby. If he were any cooler, he'd still be frozen, baby. Full title? Yes, please. Number three. The greatest fairy tale never told. 
the greatest fairy tale never told. What film is that the tagline from? Number four. Some guys just can't handle Vegas. Some guys just can't handle Vegas. And finally, film tagline number five, a family comedy without the family. A family comedy without the family. Have a little think. And we'll be back with the answers very shortly. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet, keep them out of bright light, and never feed them after midnight. Right then, are you ready for the answers? I hope so, because I'm just about to give you them. How are you feeling confident this week, Nick? Uh, more confident than usual when it comes to this one, definitely. Good, good, good. Do you want to make a little guess, a prediction of your score? Um, say six. Six? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, no, no, but I, I didn't do it out of ten, do I? Is it still, it's still out of five for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's why I thought it was quite an optimistic <laughs> guess. <laughs> Sorry. Three out of five. Sorry. Okay, so here we go. Number one. One Dream, Four Jamaicans, 20 Below Zero. What Indiana Jones film is that? It's oh, the second one. Yeah. <laughs> that was one with a big, uh, big, big snowball or something. Uh, Called Ranks is the the answer. Um, well, is, is the film at least? Yeah, I'm gonna guess 1994. Cool Runnings is the film. Yeah. And the year is 1994. So you're correct. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. I just looked it up after I gave my answer, so I wasn't cheating. Um, uh, Calgary. Okay, Calgary Olympics, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Alberta, Canada, 1988 Olympics. Okay, number two. If you were any cooler, he'd still be a frozen baby. I think. Just think about. It, I think this might be one of the one of the earliest instances of um, film titles with a colon in them, potentially. Or maybe it's a hyphen. I don't know. <laughs> Any uh, grammar. <laughs> Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Correct. This full title, which I believe came out in 1999. Two years out. 97. Really? That? Okay. Number three, the greatest fairy tale never told. Um, I've got two possible answers. I'm not entirely sure which one to go for. I'll go for the one that's probably more likely but just it's still probably wrong is it the nightmare before christmas it is not no okay just for fun what was your other answer edward scissorhands well it was neither that is it is it tim burton related in any way no, no. okay never mind then <laughs> it came out in 2001 oh God. shrek shrek is correct I, I knew i'd heard it before somewhere number four some guys just can't handle vegas Never won my second guess on the year. <laughs> Is it the hangover? Correct. Yep. Mm. I want to 
say 2007. Oh. One year out. Two years out. Two. Okay. 2009. Oh, okay. It's one of those films that sort of hung around for a long time. Yeah. I, I, had I not written the answer down, I would have struggled to have guessed that one. Because I've got a vague memory of the the second one coming out while I was at university, so I, I thought the first one came up before. Anyway, never mind. Finally, number five. A family comedy without the family. Okay. Home Alone? Correct. I always forget a year on this one. Is it 92? You're two years out again. It's 1990. So, if you could talk those up then, Nick. That's a one. That's a one. Once again. Your confidence was not well placed this week. It, it never is. <laughs> well, how did you get on against Nick? Uh, let us know your score. You can contact us on Twitter at Sunshine Cinemax. I'm hoping that you beat one. Let us know. Anyway, up next, our film to rent review is Alita Battle Angel. A futuristic adventure of hope and empowerment where an angel falls and a warrior rises. In a world within our world, they've created a world unlike any other world. And in that world is a show, a cinema show, but not just any cinema show. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, if you're looking for a film to rent, and we've got Alita Battle Angel review right now, rated 12A. Set several centuries in the future, the abandoned cyborg Alita is found in the scrapyard of Iron City by Edo, a compassionate cyber doctor who takes the unconscious Alita to his clinic. When Alita awakens, she has no memory of who she is, nor does she have any recognition of the world she finds herself in. As Alita learns to navigate her new life and the treacherous streets of Iron City, Ido tries to shield her from her mysterious past. I wonder what it's like up there. Better than this dump down here. Funny thing is, you've seen it. You just can't remember. What do you mean? Doc found you in the scrapyard. All that stuff is dumped from Zalem. So you must be from up there. I guess so. If you could just tell me what those eyes have seen. I wish I could. I keep trying to remember, but it's still a blank. I'm starting to feel like I wasn't very important. <laughs> an insignificant girl thrown out with the rest of the garbage. Now, Alita Battle Angel was based on the 1990s Japanese manga series Battle Angel Alita by Yokito Kashiro. Uh, it was directed by Robert Rodriguez, co-produced by James Cameron. Huge cast, like, I mean, impressive uh, Oscar-wise. Mm. It, it features two double Oscar winners for Best Supporting Actor and another Oscar winner for Supporting Actor as well. We've got Rosa Salazar, Christoph Waltz, Jennifer Connelly, Mahershala Ali and Ed Skrine. And he was the guy all the way through this film that had me going, where do I know that guy from? Where have I seen him before? Most recently, 
He was in If Bill Street Could Talk. He played one of the policemen in it. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't where I recognised him from. I had to resort to searching online. He was in Game of Thrones. He was Dario Naharis. The original Dario Naharis. They they recast him for... I'm not entirely sure why. Did he just one out? I don't know. Uh, Also, uh, the the, the bad guy in the, the first Deadpool movie. Him as well. Yeah. A huge budget for this film. $170 million. However, it's done pretty well from it. Uh, it's grossed over $400 million worldwide. Currently the 10th highest grossing film of this year. So, Nick, where do I start? Okay, in contrast um, to the fully computer-generated Lion King that we were talking about earlier, does the mixed use of CGI and live-action footage in Alita, does it blend more comfortably? Um... Not to be too mean, but um, I feel that simply because of the inclusion of actors, both real and CG, that can emote properly, um, Alita was coming in with a big advantage when it uh, <laughs> when it comes to my opinion. Actually, the, the mixture of uh, CG and live action was a big discussion point when the the film was first unveiled because the the, f- the first thing people noticed was the absolutely massive pair of eyes that the titular character has, which I think a lot of people weren't weren't expecting. Uh, it's you know, something of a tribute to the designs of the original manga, which you know, have uh, traditionally featured exaggerated facial features for emotive purposes, same as any comic book. But it's also designed um, to keep the audience at a distance, which is something that James Cameron has, has talked about. Psychologically, our, our brains notice that something about her face isn't quite human, or at least um, isn't what we might be used to. So we unconsciously keep a little distant from connecting fully with her to begin with, in the the same way that uh, so many other characters do. Um, and it, it works, I think, similar to, in a similar way to how the designs of the Navi in in Avatar worked, mostly. Because I remember, I thought the, the Sam Robinson one was, one was fine. The um, uh, Zoe Saldana one was fine. Sigourney Weaver, not so much. That was a bit weird looking. A lot of the film feels familiar in in that way, actually. I I did spend a lot of the running time feeling as if I'd already seen several scenes already, Um, and not just because the marketing of the cinematic release was pretty pretty comprehensive. I mean, to be fair to the film, there's a lot of moments in here that are well-suited for trailers. Uh, I just wish that they held back on on using all of them, because even the final line was something I'd already seen in the trailer. But the the, the film also feels over-familiar, because the script seems to make use of every... You know, action adventure with a young lead trope in the book, uh, which I think is mostly down to the the presence of James Cameron as the the scriptwriter, because he, he's someone who's always leaned into the the cliches of genres. Because again, to go back to Avatar, the the difficult to obtain material which drives the plot of Avatar is literally called unobtainium. Although it is fair to say that he's, he he popularised many of these cliches with his with his earlier work with you know, Aliens and the Terminator movies, and. To an extent, they do still work. I mean, th- there are many moments in Alita where I thought, I've seen this before, I've, you know, I've seen Star Wars, I've seen Blade Runner, I've seen Robocop. But the important thing is this, I was never bored. It's perhaps difficult to, to be bored when the film is, is, uh, has a surprisingly violent streak. It's, it's, it's very bright and easy going from the beginning and, and for most of the running time, but the, the fight scenes can be surprisingly graphic. Uh, for a 12A, at least, there are multiple instances of people getting decimated in in the in the traditional sense of the word, like split into ten pieces, which was uh, you know, slightly took me aback, made me audibly exclaim a couple of times. the The fights look great as well. There's a, there's a conservative use of slow motion so that when a when a punch or a kick connects, you can really feel the impact 
it's it's mostly CG, but there's there's a weight to it that isn't present in in most films like this. You can always you know, see what's going on with the with the fight choreography. It, I think it helps that the the cinematographer is uh, Bill Pope, who shot the Matrix movies and Spider Man Two, and a bunch of other good uh, good stuff. All, all of Edgar Wright's films, I think, as well, like Baby Driver, World's End. You know, he knows his stuff. Uh, the cast is good. Rosa Salazar is, is very good in, in the lead role. I think um, really well cast. Crystal Fultz uh, does his thing. Ed Skrine does his thing. They're both really good at that. Mahersha Ali doesn't have as big a role as you might think, but um, if I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. If you've not seen him act before and the, the news about Blade has you intrigued, I, I think his performance in this is a, a perfect taste of what he might bring to that role. Jennifer Connelly, uh, a little bit more distant than I, I think I would have preferred, but it occurred to me that she's sort of doing something similar to what Carrie Ann Moss did in the uh, the first Matrix film. So, yeah, that's fine. There's a lot to be impressed by. And, you know, it's, it's pretty well paced. Unfortunately, it almost falls apart completely in the last 20 minutes, sim- simply because it feels very rushed, like it suddenly goes on fast forward. You know, we've got, we've got to get all of this stuff in so we can leave it in a good place for a sequel. But, you know, on the whole, it's good. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Going into it, I wasn't expecting much. Mm. And I'm I'm looking forward to the sequel. Yeah, which I mean, considering it's done so well, I, I assume we're going to get. And you know, after watching The Lion King in the same week, there's you know, there's a lot of joy to be had from seeing something new, swing for the fences, even if it doesn't quite get there. So I'm going to give it a six out of ten. It's you know, it, it's slightly overstuffed and a bit lightweight, but it's it's fun and earnest in a way that I think more blockbusters should try to be. It reminded me of The Fifth Element, <coughs> way, but slightly better, I think. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Nick. Well, we are fast approaching the end of uh, this episode of the Sunshine Cinema Show. Uh, Just to mention a couple of upcoming releases at the cinema, uh, August the 1st, we've got Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, starring Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, Mm -hmm. Idris Elba. Yay. I'm going to see it. I'm excited, honestly. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Bye. If you missed anything in today's episode, you can hear the edited podcast online. Just search for the Sunshine Cinema Show podcast. This is a Sunshine Hospital Radio production. Get well soon.